This is Listen Again with the Bridge, your opportunity to hear Sunday's message. We hope you enjoy listening, and it all starts right now. If you will, for now, will you turn to James chapter 1, and let's dive into God's Word today. James chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1, where we were last week. If you'll notice the statement right above the paragraph that we're going to start reading, right above James chapter 1, you're going to see two words that says trials and temptations. title of today's message would be trials and temptations. And that's what James is going to talk about. So let's, let's read this beginning in James chapter 1 verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12, tribe, excuse, yeah, 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, James is writing to his congregation that he had been scattered by the persecution. You can read about it in Acts chapter 8. They've been scattered all around, so he's writing to all of them. That's why he begins the letter with the discussion of dealing with persecution, persecution, trials, and adversity. And he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, we're going to cover some more scripture later on. I'd love to read all of this at once and then kind of break it down. But because of time, I'm jumping right down to my first point, and we're going to get right at this. But one of the things I mentioned last week is that James is very direct. He just says it like it is. And he begins from the very beginning of this book. Verse 2, he's saying, hey, consider it joy, not if you face a trial, but when. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. He doesn't say when you face a trial of some kind, because that's a little vague, but he's covering everything. It's a blanket statement when he says, when you face trials of many kinds, so that we don't hear that and go, well, I mean, he's not talking to me because my trial has to do with relationships. No, that means trials of many kinds. Well, he says, because you know, The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you're a note taker, you can write it down. Otherwise, it's on the back of your bulletin. Point number one, the trial is the path to maturity. The trial is the path to maturity. We, we need to see it this way. We believe there's going to be some good come from this. We're going to grow and we're going to learn. Now, I want to be very clear. James is not saying, okay, he's not saying consider our trials joy means that we're happy when we're suffering. Oh, good. I have a terminal, terminal illness. Yay. Let me consider that joy. That's not what he's saying. It means that we know God will bring joy through the trial and that he is maturing us. That's what we consider joy, is the fact that we're going to grow through this. 
So I want you to do me a favor. Just imagine for just a moment. I know there's a lot of people in the room, but I want you to look at me and I want you to picture that you and I are just sitting at a restaurant having lunch. We're, we're at A&G, okay? That's a great place to sit down and have a meal. And something about meals just cause us, when you're sharing a meal with somebody, you just begin to share life, right? You begin to talk about life. Now, I want you to do me a favor and let's just remove James. Matter of fact, remove God from the picture. We're just talking life, right? Nothing spiritual, just life. Wouldn't you say, again, we're just sharing life across the table. Wouldn't you say that your past failures, mistakes, mishaps, wrong turns, have they matured you into the person that you are? I don't have to have you answer that. I know the answer is yes. For every one of us, our, our things that we've gone through have matured us into the person that we are. There are people here who maybe got the wrong degree. You went to college and you paid all that money for a degree. You got out of school and said, I don't want to do that. And you went a whole different direction, but you learned from that. Some of you might have been in a relationship at one point and it was serious, maybe even got engaged, but somehow along the way, either you didn't see eye to eye, maybe the other person did something that really hurt you. Before long, you're no longer in that relationship and you're out of that. But when you look back, you're like, thank you, Lord, that I didn't wind up in that. You learn from those situations as hard as they are. When, why then would we think that learning and maturing spiritually would be any different? See, what we want is we think we can mature without the trials. That's what we would like to believe, but that is a fairy tale mentality. Here's how Billy Graham put it. Love the, the words of Billy Graham. He says this, mountaintops are for views and inspiration. That's what the mountaintop is, but the valley is where the fruit is grown. Think about it. Mountaintops, we can see everything. It all kind of is clear and makes sense. But from the valley, you have a hard time seeing anything, but that's where the fruit is grown. And so when we realize that our attitude towards hardship determines how it will affect us, the question becomes, is it going to make me bitter or is it going to make me better? We have a choice. We can consider it joy when we face trials of many times. Now, I'm going to be careful with what I'm about to say because I could just offend every woman in this place right now. So I'm going to be very careful how I say this. Every man just got real serious. He's like, whoa, what? Chad, you're on your own on this one. I don't want any part of this. All right, I want, I want you, I'm, I'm going to be careful how I say this. According to Dr. Mary Marnick, an article on the Mayo Clinic website, she says that morning sickness... While a woman is pregnant, she begins to have morning sickness, is a result of a fertilized egg being embedded in the womb. Any moms in here could say you experience morning sickness. Go ahead. You can throw them up. Yeah. Okay. So morning sickness is, is basically that fertilized egg being embedded in the womb. But in that moment, it's not fun. I'm not going to make light of it. I didn't have to experience it. I'm thankful for that. I experienced it through my wife. But... I am not making light of it, but there's something growing inside of you that later is going to bring you joy. Now, in the middle of labor, 
You're looking at your husband, and I, I've heard how many times have women been in that moment looking at their husband saying, you will never touch me again. <laughs> but after, once that baby is there, and they're having those moments, the joy that comes from a child, all of a sudden they're ready to do it again, right? Some of us are crying about the morning sickness, not realizing that growth is happening on the inside and that something beautiful is going to come out of it. Guys, what I'm really saying is next time you're in a trial, just say, oh, it's okay, I'm pregnant. It's all right. No, I'm teasing. Don't say that. Don't ever say that. The trial is the path to maturity. The trial is the path to maturity. Now look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault? So he's not, he's not blaming us. He's just understanding that we don't understand. So we need wisdom in this moment. And it will be given to you. So number two, the trial reminds us of how inadequate we are without God. It's reminding us of how inadequate we are without God. Now, remember, we're talking about trials, and there are certain trials that all the money in the world cannot fix. There are certain trials that your mom and dad cannot get you out of, even though they maybe bailed you out of a few things. They can't bail you out of this. There are trials that leave us feeling completely helpless. And what I think about in these times are the statement history repeats itself because I think of the Israelites and how many of us are a lot like them. We didn't always learn from them. Sometimes we wind up doing what they did. Some of it's human nature. But if you look at history and you read about the Israelites, there were times when things were going well that they just felt like, I don't need God. Life is good. Everything's going really smooth. Why do I need God? But when the trial came, then it was, where are you, God? Why can't you help me in this moment? Why are you putting me through this? Why do I have to go through this at all? Anybody know someone like this? You don't have to raise your hand. Do not nudge your neighbor. It's okay. But we do know people like this, that when life is going well, they fall away from God. They fall away from church. I'm doing just fine as I am. Matter of fact, I'm crushing it. And then life happens and trials come. And all of a sudden, God, where are you? God, why me? So instead, when you are in those moments, James is encouraging us to ask for wisdom. God, I need you to help me understand what is going on. I'm inadequate without you. I can't handle this. I don't understand. I don't know what to do. So I need you in this moment. So he says, ask. And he who gives generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to you. But look at verse 6. Look what James says here. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Wow, James. Thanks for being so loving and, you know, really making it a soft, encouraging thing. No, no, look at what he's saying. He's saying, if you don't understand, ask for wisdom, but don't you dare doubt. Because if you do, God ain't giving you nothing. What do we do with this? How do we handle this when we're so inadequate without God? We need his help to understand, yet there's doubt. There's times we question. 
It reminds me of the story in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, the man who brought his son to Jesus, the man whose son was demon-possessed. Verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered. It has been often that he was thrown into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus' response, if I can? All things are possible for the one who believes. And what does the father say? Immediately, the, fa- the father exclaimed. That means, I mean, he's a very exuberant about it. He says, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Anybody identify with this? I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. I believe that I'm going to mature through this trial. I believe God's going to help me through it. But there's a part of me that still questions and doesn't believe. So what happened to the boy? Did Jesus say, well, you didn't believe enough, so I'm out? No. How did it play out? Verse 25, when Jesus saw the crowd was running into the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse, they thought he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. In the place where we're fighting to understand, the place where we're trying to believe, but there is this part of us that still doesn't totally believe, Jesus was enough where the Father wasn't enough. Jesus was enough where the disciples were not enough because the part we read that happened before is the, the man took them, took the boy to the disciples. They couldn't do anything. But where the man wasn't enough, where the disciples were not enough, Jesus was enough. It's frustrating when we find ourselves in a trial that we can't control. It's frustrating to feel as though there's nothing we can do. And we are reminded of how inadequate we are without our Heavenly Father. But if you have this mindset, if you can do anything, take pity on us. And Jesus is saying, if I can, everything is possible to the one who believes. That is when Jesus steps in to say, I am enough. Now, the reason I love sharing these testimony videos with you, that was 10 minutes long, and I'm like, man, I got a lot to say in a very little amount of time, but it's worth missing all of what I'm going to say because I love letting you hear what Jeremiah and Mandy had to say because we see God doing incredible things in someone's life, someone who's gone through some trials of many kinds, yet someone who placed their faith in Jesus, and he was enough. Not just someone in the Bible, not just some theory on paper that sounds good. It's someone living it out today. Living it out from Sunday to Sunday. You see, the double-minded man, James called him out. The double-minded man is the one who hears this on Sunday. Man, it sounds great. But when the trial comes... You don't even cry out to God because you don't believe he's going to help. 
Man, we're on Sunday morning. We're singing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. It sounds great on Sunday. But Tuesday morning when the trial comes, we're just like, God, where are you? And what happened? And why me? This isn't fair. So as we close this out, let me recap a couple of things. Trials are the path to maturity. Trials remind us of how inadequate we are without God. But I want you to look. The name right above James chapter 1, it's titled Trials and Temptations. So what's the temptation? Verse 13. Look at it with me. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. If we aren't careful, we'll be tempted by our own flesh. And when our own flesh steps in, it leads to death. Remember two weeks ago, I actually used this scripture because sin and death go hand in hand. And we talked about death as not just someone dying, but it's a separation from God. That's why it says when you're dragged away by your own evil desires. We're separating ourselves from the one who can help. We're turning on him instead of to him in the moment of trial. But what does verse 16 say? Verse 16 says, Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. I love this because the attention was on us in verses 14 and 15. Don't be tempted by your own evil desires, dragged away by what you want to do. And it talks about us and how that turns to death. But then he turns our attention to the Heavenly Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. When you're in a trial, don't be deceived. You're going to want to turn on God. You're going to want to ask, why me? No, in those moments, you can count it joy. That is active. It's not passive. You understand? That means it will only happen if we're intentionally in those moments going, you know what? I could turn in this moment and I could say, God, why this? Why me? Blah, blah, blah. Or I can say, God, what are you trying to teach me? It's active in that moment to say, God, I'm going to turn this the right way. And I'm going to say, what are we going to learn out of this? Help me to mature in this. Help me to understand because I don't understand why I'm going through this. Knowing it's maturing you. Let it produce perseverance. Let that perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, it's easy to believe in God when you're cashing the paychecks and your health is good and you live in a perfect world. But it's when you're standing in the unemployment line or the doctor tells you it's terminal or when your family lets you down or disappoints you or hurts you, then you learn how deeply you believe in God. Suffering is a, is a thermometer that tests the strength of your faith. Now, I purposefully skipped over verse 12, and I want to go back to verse 12 because I believe it's a great way to conclude this message today. Verse 12 says, Blessed, 
Everybody say blessed. blessed. We just talked about being blessed not long ago, that God doesn't want you happy. He wants you blessed. And that blessed means more than happy. So blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Trials test our faith. Not to see if faith is there, but to strengthen faith. Actually, the Greek word used here in the text is to describe the process of refining silver. If you put it in the flames to burn off the impurities, it will strengthen the quality of the silver. God does not test us to destroy us, but to purify and strengthen us. That's where the trial is coming. That's why it says, let perseverance finish its, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let it work in your life. It will complete you. It will equip you with all the parts needed to accomplish your purpose. But there's a process from trial to perseverance to maturity. Count it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. That kind of covers them all. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? you are here today and you walked in this place in the midst of a trial, something heavy on your heart, something you don't understand and you're facing doubt. You believe, but you still need help with that unbelief. Can I tell you, Jesus is enough. Maybe you're the person I talked about earlier who, when things are going well, you seem to distance yourself from God. And think, I, I got this. I'm on my own. I can do this. But when the trial comes, you're, you're blaming God. You're crying out saying, where are you now? If you were to be honest, you could say, yeah, that's me. I want you to remember the words of that man. Bring that demon-possessed boy to Jesus. If you can. Take pity on us and help us. And Jesus is saying, everything is possible for the one who believes. Jesus is enough. And every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. The same Jesus that was there that day for that man is here for you today. Father, help us with our unbelief. Help us in the moment of trials, in the times when we don't understand that we would turn to you for wisdom, that we would ask for your wisdom and for your understanding and to consider a joy the fact that we're going to become stronger, smarter, closer to you because of the trial we're going through. There may be a temptation for us to turn on you, but I pray that we would turn to you in those times and that we would see that Jesus truly is enough. Where we are inadequate, he is enough. If 
feel drawn to just, just ask this. I know our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and, and I'm just going to say, if you really are truly making a commitment to not turn on God, but turn to God in these moments. Maybe you can say, I've been that person. I've been there where I try to do things on my own until trials come and then I wind up turning away from God. If you just want to make a commitment by lifting your hand and saying, I am going to choose because it is a, an intentional thing we have to do to choose not to do that. Yeah, there's already people lifting your hands. You can lift your hand right now. Yeah. I'm going to choose to turn to him in those moments, not against him. Thank you. Anyone else want to raise your hand on that? Yeah. Anyone that's facing a trial and you say, Chad, I just want you to lift a prayer up to me right now, for me right now. Anybody in here want to raise your hand and say that? Yeah. Okay. Father, you see every hand that was raised, and I pray that you would do what only you can do. I thank you that you're enough. It's easy to say that. It's easy for us to hear that today, but God, it's Tuesday morning, and it's Wednesday afternoon. It's those times through the week where we aren't sitting in church that we truly need you, and I pray that you would be enough in those moments, that we would have the faith to turn to you in those moments, not looking to someone else for advice, not looking to someone else for, uh, to complain to, but God, that we're turning to you and crying out to you for help, for your wisdom, for your understanding, and God, to understand that you are enough in those moments. I pray that you would be that for each one of these that have lifted their hand today. Thank you for those who made this commitment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 